you have a Bible, you can turn to the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to John. So if you find John 13, but joking aside, actually, the ultimate thing we want to do, my friends, is point people to the faithfulness of Jesus. And I'll have opportunity to stress this throughout, but whether you're a mom, a dad, a friend, an enemy, a fellow human being, the ultimate rest and the ultimate goodness and the ultimate everything where we do want to point people to, toward is Christ because everyone and everything else will let you down no matter what and Jesus is the only one who won't and he's the only one who is faithful to the very end and we're going to get to enjoy that this morning and I hope it's worshipful and I hope you find great joy in the trustworthiness of Christ Gospel according to John is well known as the fourth gospel. It's well known as the gospel of belief, the gospel of faith. And it's because so many times in the gospel account, again and again and again, the writer tells us and Jesus tells us the way to have eternal life, the most important thing that you need, the way to have eternal life is to believe or trust or rest or to have faith in Jesus. Okay, the only way to eternal life is faith in Jesus. It's a great emphasis. It's important. We stress it a lot. But the only reason we can have faith in Jesus and have it mean eternal life is because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Apart from him being absolutely faithful, utterly faithful, meaning utter, utterly devout, committed, successful, the only reason we can have faith in him is because of his faithfulness, okay? So we're going to see that this morning. I don't know anything better, anything more worship-inducing, more joy-bringing. Uh, There's nothing greater than seeing the, the, the faithfulness of Jesus. And even though it's in a somber context, in a serious kind of setting, uh, we see it wonderfully in chapter 13. So let's go ahead and read the first verse. Chapter 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome commentary on Jesus. We're going to read it again in just a second. That's how awesome it is. And it'll be more important than what I'm going to say. We're shifting now in the gospel account. There's been a huge emphasis on the Jews and Israel and Jewish religious leaders who are perverse and who are misguided and don't understand and can't put two and two together and understand Jesus. And Jesus has had to confront them. Jesus has, has had to help all of the people who've been misled by them. And so this has been happening throughout the account. And now things really change. We're at the end of Jesus' life in these last chapters. And now Jesus is focusing more so on his own more so on his disciples, more so on Jews who are believers and Gentiles who are believers, more so on the world, if you will. And so things are really changing. And what a great introduction to the change is in verse 1. 
Okay? Jesus knew that his hour, we're going to talk about that in detail, had come to depart out of this world to the Father. We're going to talk about that in detail as well. And then we're going to talk about this in detail also. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's good. That's about, that's about the, the, the word faithful is not used there, but that's the great helpful way to summarize it. That is about the, the utter, steadfast, perfect, matchless faithfulness of Jesus is what that's about. And I would like us to at least take a few moments, a few minutes to look at faithfulness in, in terms of, of three specific features in verse one of the faithfulness of Jesus. Faithfulness to his hour, faithfulness to his father. You can't really separate those, but we're going to try. And the faithfulness to his own. He's faithful to his hour, he's faithful to his father, and he's faithful to his own disciples, then and there, by extension, to everyone who would belong to him, and that would be you if you're a believer. Faithful, faithful, faithful. He is going to succeed. What we're going to do is look at the details there in a little bit more detail, and then what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 2 to 30, and we're going to go fast. Okay, And in those verses, we're just going to see that that's just complementing, supplementing, helping us to flesh out what verse 1 talks about. Okay, Verse 1 really gives it all to us. But let's just think for a moment about the faithfulness of Jesus to His hour. If you're a Bible reader, or even if you're not, I'll bring you up to speed. Throughout the gospel account, it's been talked about. Jesus has been talking about his hour. He's been talking about my hour, my time, his hour, my hour. And it's been looking forward to the climactic point of Calvary. When he would commit the final act, if you will, of obedience and loyalty and faithfulness, he'd go to the cross to atone for our sins and he would be successful. But it's all about an hour. And it doesn't mean hour literally. It's about a time, a specific time. And what's important about that is it's because it's according to a plan. It's according to a purpose. Jesus says no to people because it's not his hour yet. He explained th explains things throughout because it's all about the hour. This is the hour, if you will, the time that all of human history has been anticipating. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 4. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 7.30, again, it's uh, because his hour had not yet come. Verse eight, Chapter 8, verse 20. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. They couldn't arrest him because it wasn't time yet because of according to divine purpose. 12.23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. See, now it's shifting in chapter 12 into 13. 12.27, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour but for this purpose I have come to this hour I want you to see and I know most of you do but I'm reminding you that all that happens to Jesus is according to a purpose okay we could use another word that's used in Bible discussions it's according to a decree this is going to happen. This has been purposed. This has been planned. That's why nothing could touch him until the time comes. He is faithful to the purpose. He's faithful to the plan. 
okay? He's utterly loyal and faithful, and he's the one you're called to believe in. You shouldn't believe him in him and trust in him if he's not trustworthy, but oh, he is. And how about this? Even in the face of fiercest, fiercest opposition, we're going to read about the betrayal today. We're going to read ultimately about the cross, the ultimate in the hour. Loyal, 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 faithful, 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 faithful. Even when the worst thing anyone could ever experience or would ever experience is going to be experienced. That's why we worship him. That's why we trust in him. He's faithful to the hour. Secondly, faithful to his father. And I know that the, the two go hand in hand, but do, do notice it says to depart out of this world to the father. That's the hour. Yeah, you should read crucifixion in there. Yeah, you should read resurrection in there. It's all part of what's going to happen. And he's going to ascend. Let's read ascension in there. To depart out of this world to the father. In our text, he's going to refer to being a servant. So we're not reading too much into this, especially in light of Isaiah's influence or John's, uh, Isaiah's influence in John. He's the faithful servant. Okay? His father sent him, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54, Philippians chapter 2. He's the faithful, loyal servant son who's going to redeem a lost humanity loyal to his father's purposes loyal to his father's plan he's the faithful servant son it's amazing it's amazing and we know he's going to succeed and we know he's going to go we know he's going to be faithful all the way to the end otherwise could he go to his father he actually couldn't go to his father Right? We, we've talked about this not that many weeks ago when we talk about vindication. He is the righteous one. He is the perfect one. That's why he's raised from the dead because it would be wrong for him to stay dead. So even here is anticipation of faithfulness. The fact that he's stating or it's being stated with utter certainty that he's going to go to the Father. Yeah, because he's sinless and successful. He's the righteous one. To the very end, he will be the loyal servant. It's pr- pretty, pretty amazing. He's the faithful son. And he's faithful on our behalf. Let's move on. Thirdly, to observe in verse 1, he's faithful to his own. He's faithful to his own. Having loved his own, if that's not one of your favorite Bible texts, it should be, okay? Cross out the other ones that aren't as good. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In chapter 13, verse 18, he's talking to the same people and he says, uh, I know whom I have chosen. They're his own, the ones he has chosen. That's one of the most significant things I've ever heard in my life. He loves them to the end. Th- 
faithful to his Father on behalf of those who would believe in him, his own, he goes all the way to Calvary. To the very end, he's still loving them. It's so good. I, I, I don't know how to like try to convince you other than God, please convince them. There's no one like Jesus loving them to the end. Think about that when Peter's betraying him. Think about that in your life. Okay, when we want to do a little counseling 101 here. When every father and every mother and every child and every friend will let you down. And if you don't think they'll let you down, you have a wrong view of humanity. You have a skewed view. There are many blessings in life and I'm thankful for loyal friends and loyal family members and those things. But absolute, perfect, unflinching, committed, loyal love even in the face of the worst thing ever imaginable, he loves his own to the very end. You got, you got to love him. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And it would be so helpful for us in our broken lives if we only gave that spot to Jesus. Because I get confused sometimes and I want to put somebody else in that spot. But the one who will never let you down, who will love you to the very end, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And fleshing that out a little bit, when others hurt you and others don't meet your expectations, and you know how it goes. Just remember the best way for you to be able to deal with that and cope with that and survive this life is to remember that your Savior, who was committed to the plan, committed to his Father, loyal servant, loves his own to the very end. It's good! It's awesome! We've not even got past verse 1. What's going to happen now is... We, we won't do outline as we go, but we're going to see demonstrations of this faithfulness. We're going to see it showing itself. We're going to see this kind of loyalty. Okay? And so let's go ahead and begin now at looking at verse 2. You, you've gotten the good stuff. Okay? We could be done. Um, no. But now you're going to see it evidence. Okay? Let, let's see this faithfulness in his serving. How about verse 2? It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. See, it's, it's the purpose. It's the plan. Jesus knows that this is how it's going to be. So Jesus doesn't run and hide. And Jesus doesn't freak out. And Jesus doesn't pack up and go somewhere else where he might be accepted. No, he knows that this is the plan. He knows that this is the purpose. This is what he was born for, right? This is according to eternal decree. He's going to do what he's about to do. Then it says... 
and that he had come from God and was going back to God. See, purpose, plan, it's going to be successful. It's so awesome. Rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Here's his loyalty and service. And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? So at least from what we read historically, this is what servants do. This is not what regular people do. The Jews thought this way and Gentiles thought this way. Okay? And certainly what you didn't do is have your discipler treat you as a disciple this way. Okay? If you're, you, this is not what the rabbi would do for sure. Okay? It's a common custom. It's what they did to show hospitality. I don't have to explain a lot of that when you think about the climate and you think about what they wore and you think about hygiene and I could try to explain in detail, but you know, this is, it's, it's, it's an act of hospitality. It's what servants do. First Peter talks about putting on the apron of a servant. Yeah, Jesus has just put on the apron of a servant. This is what you do when you don't want to make a mess on your self. And Peter is outraged, right? This doesn't compute. This isn't right. This is backward. No, this isn't right. He, he's, he's repulsed, which is the natural way we think. This isn't how it works. I do things for you. By the way, I don't know how much he's thinking about Christology, and I don't know how much he's thinking. He's Peter. But, and he's not writing under inspiration here, Okay. But this is how we think. We do things for God. It's about our faithfulness. And we have it confused and we don't understand the, 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 the suffering servant who is the eternal divine one. Okay? So Peter here just reflects the way we think. We, you know, we, we pull ourselves up. We do. We're faithful. Instead of it's all about him and his servant faithfulness saving us. Verse 7 says, Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And share is what kind of talk? It's, it's inheritance talk. Okay? And in light of the whole, this is, this is salvation kind of talk. This is with me in, in my Father's kingdom kind of talk. And, and if you don't let me be the servant that I came here to be, obviously this is foreshadowing what Christ is going to do, then there's no life. There's no inheritance. Mentally, I, I had to go to First John, who also wrote our account, where in First John one nine he talks about Jesus cleansing us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking about foot washing, an act of hospitality, but there is that cleansing of Christ through His cross work. Okay, how about verse nine? Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, 
do not, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Right? Different people take it different ways, but it seems to be pretty emotional. It's Peter, right? Just do my whole body. Right? Just, just clean. If that's the case, I, I, just, just, just go for it. I need it everywhere. Some people say, well, it's more of a ceremonial thing. That's why he names certain body parts. It doesn't matter. The point is getting across to Peter. I want the inheritance. I want to be with you. Whatever you need to do to me to have that be true, I need to have it happen. Okay? Which is admirable and awesome. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. If, you, if that sounds weird and confusing, you're in great company because commentators think so too. What? So, maybe this will help. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. It seems best, and from what I've read and researched, the except for his feet is describing what Jesus just did. Okay? That's all that's necessary. You don't need any, any, anything else. That was all that was necessary. And then he says, and you are clean. But not every one of you, he's going to get to Judas. I don't need to do anything else to you, Peter. Okay? I think that's the idea and the point, and it seems to make the most sense. Especially for the fact that the actual washing of the feet is actually not where the power is. All of this is foreshadowing. All of this is anticipating what Christ is going to do as the ultimate suffering servant. We know it's not the actual washing of the feet because he's going to wash Judas. Okay? It's meant to signify something greater. If this were all it took, Jesus doesn't need to go to the cross. But he is showing his loyal, faithful, servant nature. And again, I, I wish I could bring everyone up to speed and do a little study of faithful covenant servant in Isaiah who is the suffering substitute redeemer, but we don't have time to do that. Servant themes, and they're all over the place in John. He's the one. He's the one. You're fine, Peter. You are clean. How about verse 11? For he knew, ah, here we go again. He knew. This is all part of a purpose and a plan. He's not going to cower from it. He's faithful to this plan. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Then let's go to verse 14. And by the way, do they understand? It doesn't seem like they really understand. Maybe they understand to some degree. But we understand more.
Now let's see his example in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. He's the servant. Now he's giving this servanthood, servant action as an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, solemnly, seriously, I say to you, a servant, here we go, is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He is the ultimate servant, come to give his life as a ransom for many, to borrow from Mark's account. And if you're my followers, you should be servants as well. You should serve one another. You should imitate me. Now let's think about this. There's only one true ultimate servant, capital S, who's faithful and loyal, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54, Philippians chapter 2, Isaiah 42. But those who belong to Him, who are His own, are supposed to imitate a servanthood posture. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy to understand. It's really easy for us to, to get things confused, but it shouldn't be. And now let's think about what this might look like. If believers serve one another, imitating their Lord's ultimate service, should be great, an act of love, but it should also be even reminding us of our great ultimate servant. Right? I don't think this way, but I want to think this way. If I serve you, I don't want you, it wouldn't be right for you to be so impressed with Pat, he's such a servant. Right? Or if you serve me and do something kind, generous, hospitable, encouraging, act of love for me, you don't want me, well, maybe you do, because you know how you are. <laughs> you don't want me to, to say, oh, you are just the, the best person ever and I'm going to extol you and you're just so wonderful as an end in and of yourself. It's designed to be an active imitation because there's only one ultimate Lord as he refers to himself as and for me to say, isn't Jesus awesome? Isn't he great? He did this for me when I wasn't deserving. And if you serve me, I, I, I don't deserve that. It should remind me of Christ. If I serve you, you don't deserve that. It should remind you of the greatness of the ultimate servant who gave himself up for us and was loyal to the very end. Even, it even helps us with, you know, as we try to serve one another and we, we don't necessarily love each other and are loyal to the very end. And then we just become bitter. But we don't, we don't necessarily have to. We can deal with flawed service because it's all designed to reflect and imitate the ultimate service of Christ and His faithfulness, the one who is faithful to the very end. Right? Fathers, you can thank me for this sermon, by the way. This is, actually is a good Father's Day sermon. 
and Mother's Day sermon and everyday sermon. I have no idea where we were, but I think we are in verse 18. Is that right? Yes, thank you. Even to the point of betrayal here, how about this? I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Quotation from Psalm 41, verse 9. Exactly what does it mean to lift your heel against someone when we know it's bad? Is it to kick them, to cause them pain, to hurt them, to insult them? We know it's an act of aggression. It's ill intent. Psalm 41, verse 9, a psalm of David. Remember, Jesus is the ultimate David. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. It's treachery. Even those who were closest to me. And Jesus is saying, even the one who is so close to me is betraying me. Verse 19 says, I am telling you this now. He's telling the disciples this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Who is it that knows the future? Who is it that tells you things exactly as they're going to be before they happen? God. Jesus is doing something God-like here. And he's telling them they're going to remember later and it's going to help you to believe in me that I am the eternal one. I am the unique one. I am the divine one. He's no mere helpless, deceived victim. Think how that would have encouraged the disciples later on too. You know, this Judas incident. You're always wondering, well, who's the next one? I'm not going to serve anybody because I've been burnt before. No, there's only one Judas. There are other sinners among the disciples. There's only one Judas, and Jesus is making it clear this is part of a plan that's unfolding. It would have been a blessing to the other disciples knowing this. Verse 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So this is, this is closeness and relational because of his relationship to his father. And he's going to go to his father. And this is intimacy. Relationship, relational, because of what he's going to do. 21 says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Just for a moment, let's at least pause as we did a couple of weeks ago to see. It's, it's decree, 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 decree. He knows these things. He's God. He's divine. He's not flinching. This is according to purpose. It doesn't make him any less human. He's a real human being. And what he is facing is horrific and terrible to the point where he is extremely troubled. 
That's a mystery to figure out how he could be the God-man, but he is indeed the God-man. And he, and he really has cares and concerns. And we see it showing itself here. You know, the fact that Jesus is God and man is kind of like this. Oh, wait a second. It's kind of like nothing. It's kind of like Jesus. It's never happened before. I, I have no, no point of comparison. I have no idea. It's like Jesus. Really one of us in every sense. Without sin. And really, truly, genuinely the eternal Son. It's no wonder we worship Him. Okay, 22 says, The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom He spoke. One of His disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And if we were to look at all the, at all the data, we would say that's John, the writer of the Gospel account. He's right there, seeing it all. He's a credible eyewitness to record these things. Unique relationship with Jesus. 24 says, So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 26, Jesus answered. Must have been discreetly too, because not all of them know. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. A little bit of speculation. He must have been close. Some commentators want to say it may very well be he was just on his other side. The place of honor. Twenty-seven. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. How about one of the more interesting commands in the Bible? It is in the imperative. Judas, do it quickly. All a part of a purpose all a part of a plan, all a part of divine decree established in eternity past by the triune God and it's unfolding now and don't think for a second that Jesus isn't in charge. He's the faithful, loyal one. What he says to Judas is going to lead to more turmoil than any of us could ever imagine. But he is that kind of loyal son. He is that kind of loving Savior. How about read into this text, verse 1, He loved His own even to the end. Even to the point of saying to Judas in command mode, Do it fast. Do it now. Do it quickly. It's pretty amazing. Why am I not more impressed with Jesus? I don't know. 
Why, why, why am I not just thrilled beyond measure to be devoted to Him every day and just to be a great loyal follower? He's, he's worthy of it. Why do I worry about things? I don't need to. You don't need to. How about 28? Let's wrap it up. Now... No one at the table knew why he said this to him. See, it was discreet. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. Symbolic or just paying attention to details? I don't know. And it was night. Let's end with this. Let's end by asking God to help us not to become out of balance, because that's what we do, but to be better at putting the emphasis in the right place. Our tendency is to put the emphasis on us and our loyalty and our faithfulness. To be like Peter. Instead of remembering and knowing that salvation comes to us by a servant who is loyal and faithful and who does it all. I want to ask God to help us with that. I'm going to do something risky here. I'm going to be self-critical in public to admit out of balance. One of my very favorite songs in the 90s, it seems like we sang it at our church like every other week. A song, I just, I loved it and I don't mean any discredit to the author because I actually really respect the author. Buy the CD, play it all the time. I just loved it. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for it. But maybe we could have a little bit different emphasis. I was studying this text. Faithfulness of Jesus. Faithfulness of Jesus. Faithfulness of Jesus. And the song came into my mind. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. It's a great song. But maybe in the coming days, our emphasis could be, may all who come behind us see Christ as faithful. Because at the end of the day, we have to at least hear the Apostle Paul call himself as a Christian, the chief of sinners. Oh, may all who come behind us find Christ faithful. I looked up the lyrics again because I had to see. May the fire, fire of... I'm going to read it in the worst light. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Now, we're not going to sing it together this morning. And I like Steve Green. But here's the thing. None of us are faithful if the Apostle Paul is chief of sinners. There is only one Savior who is the ultimate servant, who is ultimately faithful. And let's remember that and let's have that cause us to want to be faithful. And here's what we want to do. 
to be faithful, we want to keep telling other people that we're not faithful, right? I want to tell my kids on Father's Day. I want to tell my wife. I want to tell you the way to be faithful and to die well is to having come to the point where we just kept talking about the faithfulness of Christ. Trust in Him, trust in Him, trust in Him, trust in Him. He alone is worthy. He alone won't let you down. Everyone else will. May all who come behind us find Him faithful. Okay, maybe we could. No, we won't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for growth and development. And we we know that our tendency is to be out of balance and then to never try to be faithful ourselves. And we know that that's not right either. But even in the hall of faith in Hebrews... Those who were counted faithful were faithful because they believed in you, the one who is the perfect object of faith. And so may we be like that. Maybe, may we be willing to acknowledge our weakness. And may we be willing to not boast in ourselves, but to boast in Christ and to point our children and our children's children and our friends and our enemies and our fellow believers and unbelievers. May we be quick to point them to Christ, the one true Savior who is always reliable, always trustworthy, who always and forever will love his own to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.